This week on the It's Take Two podcast. And then you sat at home three hours later going, what was that idea that I had in my head? Something about a fish. Feedback's, I think, one of the most important stages to do. And you want to do it in multiple places throughout the process, I would, I would say. A recce could save your ass on the day. So getting people on board, bringing them with you, isn't just invaluable, I think. That was so passive aggressive. <laughs> the context and the actual film dictates how much you need to spend. If this is your first film, definitely over schedule, because things will take a lot longer than you think. You can make a film at any sort of level. As long as you've got a camera and a bit of sound kit, then just go for it. Huzzah! <laughs> Welcome back to episode five now of It's Take Two, the podcast with me, Jordan Lee. Me, Rob Worsey. I thought, sorry, I thought you were nodding no, to me good. to say it. it's no, fine. You did well. Um, Thanks. This podcast, how do you think this podcast is going so far? Content wise, mm. it's improving, it's picking up. Yeah, I liked episode four. Release schedule wise, it took a bit of a sharp tank, yeah. hasn't it really? Yeah. Um, we do apologise, we started out with the podcast with the intention for... Was it every week? Well, at one point we said every week, and then we said, oh, no, we can't do that, but we'll do two weeks. Yeah, Yeah, we'll be able to do that. Now it's every two months. Yeah, bi-monthly now, isn't it? Yeah, it's been a while, um, so we do apologise for that, don't we? We... For all the avid listeners. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's been waiting, refreshing the Spotify stream, waiting for episode five to show up. But here we are. Um, This podcast is, for anyone who's new to it, or needs reminding because it's been so long, this podcast is all things filmmaking, isn't it, really? Whether you're a freelancer, whether you're wanting to get into film, whether you're already working in the film, but you just want to listen to two people talk about film for half an hour. Yeah, it could be all sorts, really, couldn't it? So what are we talking about this week, Rob? So we're in... (laughs) 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 I hesitated on whether to say your name or not, and it was just a bit too late. That was so fast and aggressive. Well, Jordan, <laughs> I knew this wasn't going to go well. Yeah. So what's episode five going to be about? Well, we're planning our next film now, aren't we? Which is going to be shooting kind of November, December next year. So 2023. Yeah. Working on the synopsis for the past few months, trying to get that right. And planning dates and locations and things like that. So we figured it'd be interesting to talk about that. But from the perspective of if you're doing your first short film, what sort of stuff do you need to look at? What do you need sorted before you shoot? So what was your what was your first short film? What was your first kind of project? Final year at college, we the whole group got together, we made a short film. I think the whole second half of the year was all about planning it and we all had our own role and I got given the role of DOP. Yeah. Um I think they were making extra roles because we were a big group, so we had a DOP and a cam op and a secondary cam up because we had the bigger group out of the two uh, classes uh, we ended up watching that in Cineworld wow. so I was like only like we rented the screen um, uh, rented a room out but that was a cool little moment and I think that might have been when it was like oh this is like I could do yeah I want to is do that this. what you won your cinematography award oh, for? I don't, don't want to brag yeah yeah have you got them? Have you got the trophy anyway? I think we could bring it up. Uh, I it, think yeah. I sold it for. It got a lot for it. Yeah, yeah. I'm mm. not surprised. What was your first short film? So I think the first thing I probably did was a fake news broadcast where we were kind of reading the news and we did little 
news pieces where we went out on scene and stuff, and that was quite fun. There's some like creativity in it. It's quite funny. Like we're walking through in casual clothes, go behind a pillar, and then we come out and we've got suits on and stuff like that. Nice, yeah, yeah. I bet no one knows how we did that. Uh, we flashed up like we did subliminal messaging. We said distinction like halfway through. No, you did. Yeah, we did. Did you? Yeah, we did. It worked. We got a distinction. <laughs> yeah. We just flashed it up because right. we cut to a, like a title of um, headlines or something like that. So just for one frame before, we just wrote a distinction and it must have worked. So obviously we met when we were shooting corporate and things. Yeah. But it was quite quick into that that we started working on shorts together. Mm-hmm. Old Habits with Ollie was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Because that was t- like 2015, maybe 2014. I can always remember you asking me to help out and you'd be like, oh, can you just focus pull? I'd be like, yeah, sure. I've never focus pulled in my life. Didn't know what to do. And I was a bit nervous because I was, it's different, isn't it? When you're holding yeah. the camera. Oh, it's well different, yeah. You you know that if you're moving forward, you need to, it's you so know, you need to change yeah. the focus plane. But doing that as a sole job, because we were doing all the corporate stuff for day to day, weren't we? And then, yeah you know, any chance to kind of delve into something else, especially something we want to do as, you know, in the long term and careers. I was like, yeah, let, you know, I'll do it. And that's when I met Ollie and, you know, a lot of others. I'd not been up in Leeds long as well. So that was like my yeah, introduction to friends. Derby originally, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Derby. Derby. But I can remember being nervous. What, for the shoot? Yeah. 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 Oh, we, we used to be sat next to each other at work, didn't we? You had your GH4 at the time, and you were talking about, you know, the metabones and how the crop factor changes with that compared to the two times crop. You were so know. bored. You just thought no, he was this fucking nerd. I, no, I didn't have a clue what you were on about. <laughs> all I knew was, let's make an image look all right, you know, from uni at yeah. that point. And then the learning curve after uni, which we, we might talk about in a future episode, was like astronomical. But you knew about sensor sizes, what the crop factors were, what the focal lengths would be and stuff like that. I didn't know any of that when I left uni. So you just bullshitting me then? I was just nodding and agreeing with you. <laughs> be like, oh yeah, two times crop, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have a clue. I went home and I was Googling that. So then I'd go about the morning after like, oh, is that the Metabones Ultra or the XL? <laughs> that's it's like that you know. bit on The Office with Steve Carell, isn't it? <laughs> Which bit? Oh, is it the UK office? He's talking to the intern about like quiz shows and stuff. And I think the, the intern mentions like War and Peace and things like that. And yeah. he just kind of stifles off and then comes back a bit later and he's like, oh, you mean the... The kind of 1776 novel. Yeah, I know about that, yeah. That helped me learn a lot more stuff that is actually really important to know that you might not learn at uni because there's... That's the tricky thing with uni, isn't it? There's so much to learn in specific areas that sensor size and 10-bit, 8-bit, things like that. There's only an interest in that if you're going to go into cameras and things Mm. like that. If you... If you're at uni for a general course and you're probably going to end up doing production design, who cares about sensor size and who yeah. cares about 10-bit versus 8-bit? It's it's a tricky one. Yeah. But we should do an episode on university and whether it's worth it or whether it's yeah just best to go out into the world or what. Yeah. So Old Habits was the first shot we did. And how many would you say we've done since then? Excluding the features, short films. We've not done loads, to be fair. Three or four yeah. since then. But we've learnt a lot in those shorts and then we learnt a heck of a lot in the, the features among Living, the one that we're just finishing. Yeah. And now we're moving on to this third feature. We're in the process of planning it. So we thought this episode can be yeah. what we've learned leading up to today. 
what we're going to take forward with us while we're planning the rest of this next film, what we've learned that we might not have done in previous films. So shall we start from right from the beginning of... Yeah, so let's say you've you've never, never done a short film before. You've got an idea. What steps do you take? Where do you go? Who do you chat to? Yeah. What's your first move, do you think? When So when I get an idea, I'll either write it in my phone or if I've got a pen and paper, whatever, wherever I am, I'll write it down because the amount of times I've thought of something and I'll be like, oh, I'll remember that for when I get in. And then you sat at home three hours later going, what was that idea that I had in my head? Something about a fish. It would have made me a millionaire and I forgot <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. I've done it wrong in the past. I think I've gone straight to script. Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's not necessarily the best way. I was way. just laughing then, sorry. <laughs> I was like, this is so basic. <laughs> right? You write a note down as your idea. Like, Jesus Christ, we're going to be in six hours. <laughs> so I log into my Windows PC. I open Salter. Start yeah. typing my password. <laughs> Sometimes I've gone wrong in the past where I've just opened Celtext and started the script straight away. Some people work well like that, though. And this is, this is a disclaimer we should put out, is that this is how we would work it. And some people don't. Mm. I was watching a, an interview with Martin McDonough, who's done In Bruges and Three Billboards and, and great films like that, Oscar winning. But he was saying he doesn't know the ending of his film when he starts writing. He just, he knows the characters and he just starts writing and sees what happens. Features? Yeah. It's just crazy, isn't it? But his yeah. films are amazing. Yeah. But then you look at Chris Nolan, who plans to different timelines out and things like that, and mm. I don't think you could make a film like Tenet or Inception without knowing the ending. Yeah. Everyone works differently. So a little disclaimer that this will be how we True. like to do it. Yeah. You might listen to this and think it's absolute nonsense. Would you say synopsis first or a treatment? So for I think for a short film, definitely a synopsis. And once you've written that, get feedback on it. And feedback's, I think, one of the most important stages to do. And you want to do it in multiple places throughout the process, I would I would say. How much do you listen to other people's feedback? Because obviously you have an idea in your head and there's, you know, you'll be open to a certain amount of alternative suggestions. But obviously some suggestions could potentially like change the, the, the narrative or the character or whatever. How much do you listen to that and implement it? Yeah. Because it's mean, got to be a good is, balance, hasn't it? To stick yeah. to your guns of what, why you made that short film, yeah. which is another thing we'll go on to in a minute. Yeah. But then also, yeah, sticking to your guns, but also making sure that the short film or feature film, any type of film that you make, is going to entice other people. It's really hard and you've got to stick to your gut. I think for me, when I get feedback, and I, I, I think the brutal feedback is the most useful. Because if, you know, if I send stuff out to me mum, and she says, oh, it's incredible. It's not going to help you, is it? Yeah. Everyone's the yeah. same. People giving you brutal feedback is more useful. And so what I do is I'll get it in, I'll read it, probably get annoyed and gutted and just think, they don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah, yeah. They don't understand it. Let's put it down for a day, two days, and then come back to it and then read it again and you start to realise, all right, they've got fair points here. Yeah, It's got to stay in line with what you want to do because also the idea and the film that you want to do other people would would tell it in different ways and it would show it in different ways. So it's working out why they're giving you the feedback. Because if, if I give a bit of feedback that says, this doesn't work, you should do such and such. That That's my idea. That's how I would do it. But it might not be the way you want to do it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll read feedback and think, I'm not going to take their idea, but it's interesting that they say 
it needs something new there. Yeah. And then I can implement what I would do. When it comes to getting that crew together, what type of people should people be looking for? Depends on the project, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Depends on the scale of it, where you're at. Like, if we're doing it today as though it's our first short film, you want people of the same level then, really, or slightly better. Mm-hmm. Because you can't go out and ask Roger Deakins to help you. I think it's... Is that why he's not on the podcast? Yeah, it's oh. why he's not showed up that we were going to have him today. That's why we've got a lamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Finding people, like, Facebook groups are useful, aren't they? And putting calls out and stuff like that. And I think the key thing is... Try and get people who you're going to gel with. Sometimes that's hard to know if you're not meeting them and stuff before, if it's just a, mm. a low-budget short film. It might be a case of you just meet them on the day. But make sure people are on the same wavelength as what you're doing. If you're having to do it unpaid and stuff, then you want people who are, who are going to benefit from it. If you're looking for a DP, maybe get someone on who they haven't DP'd a short yet. They've just been doing corporate or something like that. Something where they can step up and improve find showreel material stuff like that and i think that that they're the people to look for in that situation shout out a shout out yeah okay who are we doing it to this week we're gonna do it to you olive mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna shout out to ollie this week aren't we oliver mitchell oh we do the clap at the end no i do now i've missed it join come on thank you um yeah oliver Mitchell is a man <laughs> who's recently bought a house in the local area. <laughs> oh, the UK listeners will get that reference, I hope. Yeah. Ollie's a mate of ours. He's a film director as well. Yeah. He's currently in production on feature film, which we're shooting with him. Yeah. We've got one day left. Mm-hmm. He also owns a business as well, which I think would be really handy for listeners to hear more about how he's started it how he's developed it and is at the position where this year he went full-time owning that business hopefully we'll get ollie on soon within the next few episodes because it'd be great to hear from him yeah definitely yeah let's get him on yeah so cheers to all are we gonna say what business you've run out of drink i know to oliver cheers <laughs> huzzah <laughs> <laughs>obviously key isn't it and I think making the move if you've been to university and you know you're now making short films in your own time there's a shift isn't it from using like your student, u- house. student housing that's probably got the same colored walls as this house but and, like and your uni corridors yeah from a production value we've spoken in the past that how important location is yeah when it's not because you've been told to by your university to make a short film when it means something and you could get something out of this whether it's professional development or being selected for festivals right down to locations you've got to think about what's going to make this film better which is why recce's are so important and then you get taught that at college you get taught at uni but you know and we didn't properly you know we we'd looked on airbnb and gone yeah that looks good yeah we can shoot in that kitchen and that's that's fine and you turn up on the day so we've got one plug <laughs> in the kitchen because we can't take that out or that out shit you know that's <laughs> happened and what's your process then when you go on for a recce we've just been up to some for the next film what, yeah what's going through your mind as dp what are you thinking well i'll take a camera with me mm-hmm. and as long as you know if you're a dp and not a director you need to make sure you know what's going on so when you're talking about you know oh when this scene happens i know what you're talking about there 
that's important to know, you know, enough of the synopsis if that's the stage the film's at at the moment. But take a camera and just have a look and see. Not too much because we're going to do it in the way of we went to check the location out, didn't we, recently? Mm. But then we're going to hopefully go again and start blocking it out in more detail and nailing down, right, this scene could take place here. Let's get some reference frames. Let's think about how we can light it. Recce's are crucial. And then, like, I know some people are itching to go straight into filming it. They want to film it. They want to see it in the edit and, you know, get it done as soon as. But a recce could save your ass on the day of shooting if you've just been there. Just spend half a day, go and visit it, check the places out, because then you can turn up on the day. And for me, it helps knowing that I've already been in that room, so I know what you're talking about. But when I'm there, you can leave me to it. I can tell whoever's helping out on, on lighting and camera what we can be doing. Whereas with Lakeside, I hadn't been to the cabin before or yeah. you know, there was different locations. I was relying on you a little bit to be like, so where do you want, you know, where are you shooting from? I'd rather know that now from learning from that. I'd rather know without having to ask you anymore. And I think that's an important thing of a DP and director. Yeah, that's the aim, isn't it? And that works on any level, whether it's a short film, whether it's a feature, whatever it is. Yeah. If you're a DP, go on the recce with the directors or producers. That's what worked well about that recce we've just done because there was me as director, there was you as DP, and then we had Kate as producer. We were all looking at that place through different... You all right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I realised when I take a seat, I can't see you for a split second. <laughs> yeah, I realised that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Next time we do it. Where to go? Fucking hell. <laughs> so there was me as director, you as DP, mm. Kate as producer... We were all looking at that location from a different perspective. Mm. You were looking at it from a, a camera lighting point of view. You know, where are we going to be able to light these scenes from? Can we do day for night? Things like that. Mm. If we we're on second or third floors, we'd have the facilities to be putting flags up outside. Yeah. I was looking at it from a blocking point of view and style point of view. Do the scenes that I've written and imagine, do they fit here? Mm. And then Kate's thinking totally logistics. And also, on Among the Living, the kitchen was kind of in where we were shooting. That was an absolute nightmare, having to clear it. With this Sometimes one, the edges of the frame would have been like yeah. a ladle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A big bag of pastas next to yeah. it. And whereas with this one, like we're not shooting in the kitchen, so it's ideal that I can just be a crew room just for, just for food. Getting crew members like that on board early and taking them with you on these places. Because if you're writing and directing it and you kind of this is your first one, chances are you're not going to be thinking of the logistics or the lighting of it. And, you know, is there enough plugs? Are we going to be able to put lights up here? So getting people on board, bringing them with you, isn't just invaluable, I think. Which definitely goes back to that ownership of your film. And, you know, if if you come up with an idea, you want to direct it, you might want to shoot it, you might want to plan it. If you try and do all those things, regardless of the scale of that project, you're likely to miss something that yeah. could be quite crucial in terms of making that film, even if it's right down to the logistical side of planning. So that's why it's so valuable to get people on board to, yeah. to make sure that your role and what you're doing is you can put 100% into that one role. I think that's one of the hardest things to do is to trust other people and pass that stuff off. Coming from uni where I was DP to directing shorts outside of uni, it was, it was hard to give that visual control up mm-hmm. until I found the right person. Please cut that out. Oh, that's definitely going in. <laughs> Budget mm-hmm. is the dreaded word for a lot of people who want to make short film and 
hasn't either got much money to spend or they just want to make something. Well, it's the one practical thing that stops you doing it, I think. Yeah. Obviously, you've got all of the emotional side of it of not being ready and imposter syndrome and stuff like that, but the kind of one real thing that stops you is money. From a budget perspective then, there are certain things that you're going to have to pay for for any project regardless. Yeah. Shall we rattle through those and then move on to the optional things that... Yeah, so what's the what's the minimum spend you can do a short film for? Mm-hmm. Your film, Red Light. Our film, Red Light, John. Our short film, Red Light. <laughs> That's a good one to talk about from a budget perspective, isn't it? Because yeah. it didn't cost that much. Did we shoot it in one day? Yeah, one day. Shot it in a day. Yeah. Nice shoot to be on. Yeah, lovely shoot. So if anyone wants to give it a watch, feel free to watch that. Pause now. us now. In a minute, not now. Oh, sorry. Because I, I haven't finished I was doing Bernard's watch. But they're going to... Bernard's watch. <laughs> <laughs> pause it, watch it. How much do you think it was made for? And then come back, so pause it. Ready now? Now they're back. How was it? It's great. <laughs> Enjoy Loved it. it. Yeah, yeah. No, we didn't watch it. And just made it <laughs> So what was the budget for Red Light? I think £80 to do the shoot. So that budget was literally travel and food. Pizza and a buffet. I don't know. Yeah, like you say, we shot it in a day, did all the dialogue stuff first, went out to shoot daytime stuff, did some more dialogue, and then went out to shoot the evening stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it was sorted with score and everything within a few months. It was a really nice, easy, short project. Mm-hmm. People volunteered a time for it um, because it was either friends like yourself who were into filmmaking, wanting to do something else. That was the first time we met Kaylee, mm-hmm. our makeup artist, who we've worked with since. Previous shout out. I think that's the cheapest, probably, mm-hmm. from about 80 quid, mm-hmm. and then up to other short films that have cost a, f- a few grand. So you could say, you know, why why, why do a film for 80 quid and why spend thousands on another? Red Light, you know, we were shooting in our house. We had a car in it. It's like, do you spend money hiring a car in that suits perfectly for it? We'll just use one we've got for nothing. We'll just use my car for that. Yeah. That sort of film, it's all about the performances and the kind of, setting and the context rather than production value whereas other films we've done where we've spent more money we've gone out to locations we've gone across the country to shoot at beaches Mm. you know we've hired costumes in and stuff like that so i think the context and the actual film dictates how much you need to spend if that makes sense yeah you know if you're pushing this film through and it's your kind of project then make sure no one's at least out of pocket doing it yeah you're not the only person who would gain from that film is that everyone's there. Everyone will say yes to helping you out and being on that crew. Yeah. For a reason, if they think there's any gain for them to be involved. Yeah, but you don't want them paying out their own money for it. No. So travel expenses always cover that. Food, make sure you're sorting food. And I think make sure the food's good as well. Uh, because if people are working for free, then feeding them well is, is a key thing. Mm-hmm. If people are volunteering and things like that, you want to keep it as short as possible. When it comes to a scheduling perspective, then obviously if people aren't getting paid, they're going to want to make sure that they get fed and just treated fairly in terms of giving up their time. But is there a balance of making sure that you get everything you need in a short amount of time filming a short film and treating your crew and cast fairly, considering that they're doing it potentially for nothing? Part of me, if I, if I was helping out in someone else's film, I'd rather do one long day than two short Mm. days if that makes sense so even if it was a a kind of like 12 14 hour day 
unpaid. As long as I'm getting fed, I'd rather do that than two kind of seven-hour days mm. because it just it's much less commitment then. You know, like a one-day short film for free is not a massive commitment. That's the sort of thing I'd love to do. But if you start looking at kind of three, four-day for a short film, it's a lot more for someone to take on unpaid. But then, obviously, you don't want to have a, a brutal schedule where there's no time for rest and no time for breaks and you've just got to rush through and get everything done. Yeah. Scheduling's a hard thing to get right, I think. Obviously, we've learned a lot from the features as well, what you should have taken from what you've learned from the shorts. But what were the main things you've learned from a scheduling perspective? Because for anyone who's listening, you help with the scheduling with Kate, who's your wife. Yeah, producer. What have you learned from a scheduling perspective and what else have you learned? I tend to over schedule, which then becomes an accurate schedule. Because if you if you're there thinking, oh, we'll get this shot, it'll take us a half an hour. If you schedule an hour in, suddenly it probably does take an hour anyway. Mm -hmm. So it feels like you're over scheduling, but actually you're probably on point. Unless you a few years in and you're quite experienced at knowing how long things take. Mm. But if this is your first film, definitely over schedule because things will take a lot longer than you think especially if, you, if you're if lighting and stuff like that. But location changes, you know, like on, on Lakeside where we'd scheduled shots and things like that, um, and they were all in the same location. We didn't have to drive anywhere, but it was still a half an hour walk away. Mm. Didn't take that into account. So suddenly we were, we were kind of pushed for time already. So because we'd over-scheduled, we, we managed all right. We got through everything. I found on pretty much every shoot that I do, whether it's freelance commercial, corporate or film, the first, the day one especially, and that first block, morning block, I'd always factor just more time just because it's day one and the yeah. start because the amount of times where you've used the same timing for the, the rest of the, the shoot, you apply that to that first morning block of day one, I found myself always in positions where we're already behind and we've not even shot anything yet. Yeah. So I think that's like a little tip that I'd probably say is that first scene, the day one morning, add a bit onto what you would typically schedule for because you are going to fall behind. Even if it's just getting the stuff out of the van or someone from the location might not have turned up yet mm. and that's, you're already behind and you don't want to start any project feeling like you're behind. So you've got the schedule so you know what days you're shooting, but then you need to schedule those days themselves with the shots and the scenes. What's the best approach to doing that, do you think? I got taught it at uni, and you probably did as well, the the, the old way of starting wide, yeah. get your master shots, get the performance nailed in that in that wide, and then, you know, progressively move to your mid to your close-ups, things like that. And we spoke about that in Among the Living, in that, in that cabin scene. We, we took a while to get the scene nailed from a performance before we moved into those mids. It's that a good is, way of doing it, I think. It is, because then, even from a continuity perspective, you can be more aware... Of, of continuity. Do you tie that in with blocking then? Because the ideal scenario is to take the actors to the actual location, block and rehearse a scene, and then as DP you can watch and you know where shots are going to be, you can look at angles and stuff. Yeah. That's not always the case. I mean, the best way to do it is to shoot it while you're there, just on a phone, on a spare camera, and actually see the shots. We've done that for Among the Living. We did a location recce to the mill and shot it and kind of compared it to the final product so that we know what shots we're going we're gonna to need. You can't always do that. Sometimes you've got to do it in your mind if you can't get to the location or whatever. How do you go about 
scheduling those shots? What do you get first? What do you prioritise? Because if, if, say, we've got a scene and we've got tracking shots in, we've got mid shots, close-ups, mm-hmm. what do you what do you prioritise? How do you schedule that? To me, I think that's where me and you have to sit down and have a chat because from a DP, like I think we've said in the past, I want to make sure that the shot's nice as possible. So if you want that really nice tracking shot, mm-hmm. from a scheduling side, I'll fight my corner to have that time to get that shot looking as good as both me and you imagined whilst appreciating that you're going to, you're going to want to make sure that the performance is right as well. I think always start with that wide to get the scene, like we say, nailed from a performance perspective. So once you've got that coverage on the wide, you can then move in to your mids, get your close-ups and then you're just getting further coverage. And if the scheduling didn't quite work out and you ran out of time, You've got that wide anyway in the bag. You've got the entire scene in some form. I think that's the thing for me. It's that safety, isn't it? If if once you've nailed the wide, if something happens and you can't shoot for the rest of the scene, at least you've got something to show. Mm. Whereas if you start on the close-ups and then something happens and you can't carry on shooting, you're going to have to play the whole scene on close-ups. It's not going to work. If you've got coverage of walking in or walking out or the action that happens, mm. it's the safest way to do it, to get the wide first. The tricky thing then is deciding what's next. And for me, I would just put it in as a like a list of priority, like an A, B, C. A is essential. B is we kind of need that. Mm. C is if we've got the time, let's get it. And then from there, working out what's the minimal fuss to change or get the next shot. So if you're shooting in here and we've got six shots that look this way, get them as a bunch, try and schedule them together if you can. Because then if you've got loads of kit this side, if you've got to then move it around to shoot this way, you don't want to be doing that shot to shot to shot. Think about the logistics of moving it. And it kind of sucks for the actors because they've got to kind of work around that. But it's a lot easier for actors to jump around than it is to move all the lighting, all the crew, all the sound. Mm -hmm. And there's ways to mitigate that as well, isn't there, like with multicam? Choosing the right yeah. times to bring in a few more cameras, get the angles, say if you're shooting in one direction. There's times when multicam, budget depending and crew depending, can help you. We shoot multicam most of the time now for for the right scene. Obviously, if there's a steady cam scene or something like that, then we won't because you just can't get it in. But if we can get a second camera in, we throw a second camera in. Yeah. And we've done it different ways. Sometimes we do it where camera A is on one person, camera B is on another, like here. And then camera C is just doing its own thing. Yeah, just leave it to it. And that works okay, but I think that's harder for lighting. Uh-huh. And we've done it other times where camera A is on one person and then camera B is on the same person, but on a different shot or a tighter shot or a different angle. Yeah. I think I like doing it that way from a director's point of view. Yeah. Because you're getting coverage, but you're, you're still only watching one performance. Um, but it just means, you know, you don't have to keep repeating that getting coverage from a lighting perspective, the lighting's pretty much fine for both. Mm-hmm. And from an actor's point of view as well, less takes that you've got to sit through to get your mid and your close. Let's talk kit then, because that again, if you've not got access to it, if you don't already own a camera, a bit of audio, a bit of lighting, that can soon ramp up the budget, can't it, for, for people. Shall we go through some key bits of kit that's needed for a short film just to help anyone out who might be thinking yeah, I want to make a short film do I don't know what I need first thing I would get is sound kit because most phones nowadays you can get a decent image off but if it sounds crap no one's going to watch it mm-hmm. 
people, there's loads of examples on YouTube where, like David Sandberg, Pony Smasher on YouTube, he did an example where he showed a, a scene from Shazam, which is his movie, showed it with bad video, great audio, and they showed it with bad audio and great video, and you take the bad video every time. Mm -hmm. So if, if you add a tiny amount of money to spend on kit, for me it would go in sound kit, and you would beg or borrow to get a camera or use your phone. Or as reach as out you... to a, a DP like say on a Facebook page who yeah, exactly. might own a yeah. camera. But if if you if the bare minimum is, then it's sound for me. Do you disagree? No. I mean, as a DP, I'm like... It breaks your heart. <laughs> You're taking an Alexa over a, a sound yeah, recorder. Just, just a set of cine primes. Let's do a sound yeah. film instead. Fuck it, why not? <laughs> and I think sound-wise, if we're talking micro-budget, if we're talking someone who's... This is their first film that they want to do, and they've got no kit, and they've not. They're struggling to get people who do have kit. The basics would be like a, a boom pole, and you could get a cheap one, or you could use a broom, and a shotgun mic that can go on the end, and a cable. And it's all about mic placement, getting the mic as close to them as possible. Yeah. If you're shooting on like a friend's DSLR or something like that, and you get a road mic, then road mics are great. They're decent. Don't just put it on camera though. You know, it's all about placement. Mm. Um, watch some tutorials and you can get really decent sound out of a fairly cheap mic if you put it in the right place and treat it right. It's probably worth saying as well, we're suggesting bits of kit if you're a, if you're a production-based role. If you're someone who, might, someone who might be listening to this, you're a writer, then for someone who's less involved in the production side and as a crew member utilize those pages on social media to reach out to people who might own that kit already and it, like we were saying earlier if they're happy to help out whether it's a voluntary basis they'll only say yes if they think it's worthwhile and they'll come with their kit because they want to do the best in their job because they'll think there's benefit to getting involved so reach out to people i think one important thing is and i'm not trying to put camera last but camera oh, probably would be last for me because you, you could get a decent image out of anything nowadays yeah. i think after sound for me it would be lighting and that's not necessarily a thing of going out and buying nice lights think about where natural light is going to be and utilize that you know if, if we had curtains open in a room and you haven't got any artificial light to fight that then don't just put the actor in front of the window and look straight with the window behind them because they're going to be totally underexposed. It's going to look rubbish. Think about and your weather changes. Placement. Yeah, and weather does change. Yeah. Think about your actor placement and use use that window as the key light and use it to light them. So you don't have to go out and buy expensive lights, but bear in mind that you can adjust blocking and placements to use the light that is just naturally there. What do you think is a DP here in that? Ridiculous. Go on, no, no, it's true because just three hundred X. It's tough, isn't it? Because we don't know who's listening to this yet. We, yeah. You know, um, someone could be someone could have never made a film before, and they they might find that side of it really useful. Whereas others might be watching this and going, "Well, I own three lights. I'm using them," which is completely fair and it's understandable. But yeah, definitely. It's, so it's difficult to try and cater for everyone. I mean, that, that's the thing, though. We we have access to good sound, good camera, good lighting equipment. We use all of it. So if you've got access to it, for sure use it. Yeah. But if you don't have access to it, don't think that it will stop you from making a film because you can make a film at any sort of level. As long as you've got a camera and a bit of sound kit, then just go for it. So the film has been shot. We've planned it 
shoot's gone well, it's now in the edit. When it comes to editing it, chances are you might want to edit it yourself, especially if it's a, a low level. Uh, not a low level, <laughs> like a shit film. Mm -hmm. If it's a, a low budget film, you're probably going to want to edit yourself or use someone who you know closely to edit that. I guess it works on a similar level to writing the film in terms of feedback and suggestions when you're in the editing phase as well. And I know that you you asked me, you know, when you're providing drafts of the films that you make, you ask for feedback. Is it just as important to get the feedback in, in the edit as much as it is as when you're writing it? Definitely, yeah. Cause they say that, don't they? They say you make the film three times when you write it, when you shoot it, and then when you edit it. There's so much that can be done in the edit to change the film, improve it, make it worse, mm. that I think, yeah, don't just do a draft and kind of call it finished there. First thing I would do is is do your draft edit and get it to a point where you think it's really tight and really good. And then what they told us at uni, which I think is invaluable, is take your runtime and cut 10% off because chances are it's too long and it's too indulgent. And I think that's a great kind of bit of advice. Yeah. Because so far, all the films I've done, that's been totally true. And you can... And don't just don't just take 10% off the end. It's <laughs> just like, I've got, got a climax now. I mean, just like trim shots here and there and just try and get rid of 10% of the runtime because chances are that beautiful wide shot that you've got in, you've probably put it in for too long. Mm -hmm. Once you've done that, then send it out and I think get as much feedback as possible. You know, what works, what doesn't work? Is it boring? Is it too long? Mm. Things like that. And yeah, I think it's just as important getting it in in post as it is in pre-production for sure. And it's like with the script writing, give it a day or two. Don't just try and... I mean, there's competitions that it's 24 hours, 48 hours. They're intense periods. But if you've got the time to make this film as good as you can, yeah, definitely sit on it and come back to it. Yeah. <laughs> if you have got the time to make it as good as you can, then leave it a few days and come back to the edit with a, a fresh pair of eyes, as they say. Yeah. And some of those suggestions that a friend might have told you, you might actually look at that and go, oh, they've got a point. As long as it makes that film better and, you know, as long as you do agree with those suggestions, then go for it, yeah. I think as well, similar to the actual production, spend time with the sound mix in the edit. Because that's the thing that will put people off straight away. If the sound quality of the recording and then sound mix is bad, that's kind of a, a write-off straight away for your film. So ideally get someone in to do that, to spend time on the sound who's, who knows what they're doing. Same for colour grading, but I think colour grading's a lot less important than the sound mix. Mm -hmm. So spend time doing it or get someone in to do that. We've just covered a lot. I don't know how long this episode's going to be, but we've covered a lot in terms of from start to end of making a short film. And hopefully we've not put people off making them because there's a lot to consider. But it's high, It's worth highlighting the fact that in order to make a short film as good as it can be, there is a lot to consider. It's not just rocking up or coming up with an idea, going, yeah, we'll shoot that and then edit it, done. There's a lot more to consider that will make that film better by just spending a bit more time in pre-production, a bit more time in production, even if you know the schedule permits, and even a bit more time in post to make it as good as possible. So I hope that it's been useful. Do you think it has been? It has. It's tricky, isn't it? Because we haven't even mentioned insurances, risk assessments, mm -hmm. call sheets. There's so much to go into. So we're just... For me, it's from, from the perspective of a real low-budget one- or two-day shoot with your friends. As you get into it, you need to know what call sheets, risk assessments, insurances are. Mm. And they're so, good practices to have, especially the call sheets. Yeah. You know, if, if you're working yeah, with people yeah. who might be more 
advanced or more experienced, if you if they don't get a call sheet, they're going to be like, I don't know what's going on. I think what we need to do is we'll do an episode on what you need to do to do a feature. Yeah. Because at that point, you are probably at uh, the next kind of level of planning and preparation and experience. And so we can dive in and it we'll try and make it fun. We'll do some quizzes or something to do call sheets, risk assessments, yeah. uh, insurance, all that sort of kind of dull stuff. Yeah. We'll jazz it up a bit. Yeah. If you've got any questions, if you've got any topics for maybe episodes that you want us to talk about, it would be helpful because sometimes we're sat here thinking, what should we talk about? But there is a lot to talk about and we know there is, but we want to make sure that what we are talking about is worth your time and you find it valuable. So if you've got any topic suggestions, any episode suggestions, do get in touch. Yeah, and, and don't worry about inundating us with messages because we've only got 12 listeners, so we can easily fend off all of them questions and all of them comments, so don't worry. Don't not email in just because you're worried about the thousands that we get. Yeah, your message will almost definitely get you're read. Almost, <laughs> yeah, you're almost 10% of our viewership, yeah. just you alone, so go for it. But yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed it. Remember, we're on YouTube if you listen to this on Spotify, so if you'd rather see our faces... Put a uh, put a face to a name. Yeah, that's the right way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, or vice versa. If you've had enough of seeing us talk, just listen to us on Spotify. And hopefully, in the future, when I can get around to it, we'll be on other streams as well. Um, but yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in about three months when we decide to film the next one. Cheers. Oh, that's cold. <laughs>